Welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. Today, I'm interviewing Casey Silverio. Casey is a driven agriculture advocate. Growing up on a farm, he experienced rural America's opportunities and challenges. These uncertainties led him to a successful finance career at North America's largest French fry producer. While there, Casey began his journey into farm-friendly real estate partnerships. Today, he combines these experiences to help farmers achieve their financial goals. One way he does this is by offering bedded off-farm investment opportunities. Historically, only the top 1% had access to these investments. Casey can be considered a bridge between agriculture and commercial real estate, providing an uncommon path to help farmers achieve their financial goals. Casey, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm getting. Um, I'm excited to get to know your business model a little bit more and to interview you. And I was I was recently on your podcast, so thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, before we Absolutely. keep going, I want to know more about. And I'm sure the audience too wants to know more about your background and how you got into your specific niche now. Yeah, my background is a little bit all over the place. I grew up on a farm out in Caldwell, Idaho. I The challenges and opportunities really led me to a career in finance. So I spent a decade in corporate finance, you know, working the corporate ladder there. But there was something during that time that always was calling in me. And I couldn't really figure out what it was until 2020 hit, the pandemic hit. And I realized like, I really had very little financial security. There was my boss, a company who was really saying, you have to work from home now as an extrovert and an adventurer. I hated that. I couldn't stand it. It kind of made my skin crawl. And I think a lot of other people <laughs> on the podcast and listening to this can kind of feel that same thing where your skin kind of feels like crawling. and You're not really sure what to do, um, but you know there's something. You, you know your value was underutilized. And so just taking a step back and like looking at what you're good at and what your values are and what your background is, is pretty pivotal. But to short answer to your question, um, finance, um, agriculture, and now in the past three years, pivoting into real estate to merge those two. Okay, perfect. So uh, in short, if I came, if, if I, if I met you at a, like a Starbucks or a coffee shop and I'm like, oh, hey, Casey, what do you, and I just met you, what, what do you do? What would you, and what's like a very basic way of answering the question? I would say that right now I act as the bridge between the agricultural community and commercial real estate. Right now we see a lot of the top 1% diversifying about 25% of their financial portfolio into investments, specifically real estate syndications, commercial real estate syndications. Um, but really a lot of these investment opportunities have been more or less private. Um, they have, the SEC has opened these up in the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. So maybe a lot of people are like, this sounds like a scam. This sounds like something I've never heard of. And you're not wrong. This has only been around for 10 years. So when we go out and talk, um, it's really about educating people and saying you can also diversify into commercial real estate just like all of these other investors have right and to kind of break that down it's like if you if top one percent were referred to someone in the top one percent they have a, a net worth of like a hundred million dollars probably about 25 percent of their portfolio is going to be 
in some sort of alternative investment like real estate, like commercial real estate, specifically through a syndication or a fund. And the benefit of that is the potential for growth. So you can't just have the money sitting in a bank account, right? Because it's going to be exposed to inflation, but also you can't have, you don't want all your money sitting in the stock market because it could also be exposed to volatility. So there's yeah. this balance, right? I think 25% probably in this case is good. I don't think there's a hard percentage, but let's just go with 25%. In this case, 25% is in commercial real estate with the potential to earn, you know, greater than 10% annually internal rate of return on that. So that makes sense. And you're right. It is kind of a, a newer idea because when we think of like investing money, we probably think of investing in stocks or going to your Edward Jones agent or your local bank and opening a mutual fund. I think that's what most people think of when they think of investing their money, but there's more to it. There's a lot more to it, especially nowadays with the amount of commercial real estate available to the everyday person, um, to accredited and non-accredited investors. Do you mind sharing with us some of the recent projects you've worked on? Yeah, I fully agree with um, what you just said there. The the recent projects that I've been a part of, you know, there's a couple that I've been contemplating, but the one I'm invested in right now is in Houston. Um, you know, put 50k into it, value add deal. Um, it was at a time where, you know, interest rates were on the come up. They mm -hmm. are not you know, seven, eight percent that we're seeing in today's lending environment. So we got in at a good time and really were able to secure some low financing there and a really good opportunity, good market. You know, it was a, you know, commercial real estate. When you think there's many different buckets of commercial real estate, um, there's self-storage, there's office investments, but then there's apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. I think each um, asset class, if you will, within commercial real estate has its pros and its cons. Mm -hmm. Um Right now, I divided. I decided to put a certain per percentage of my portfolio into multifamily, specifically Houston. Um, great macroeconomic environment there. You know, a lot going on, and from a workforce perspective, also just a really solid, stable uh, workforce, especially with this asset. So, um, with that, I invested. I'm invested as an LP right now mm -hmm. in that deal, and. So as a LP or acronym for limited partner, you know, there's in any typical real estate deal, there's two parties. There's the the GPs or the general partners, and then there's the LPs, limited partners who bring the capital. Um, when you Google that on the internet, yeah. you probably come up with passive investors. And yeah. essentially that's what I am in, in this deal. And that's a, a structure that we typically leverage for our clients as well. Got a limited partner, limited in the sense of liability and in control, right? So, like, if you if you're a limited partner, you invest fifty thousand in a deal. The most amount of money you could lose is fifty thousand dollars in this example, and then you typically don't have that much control or you know over where the what what happens next at that point. And that could be, mm -hmm. a, and I say that more from like the standpoint of that could be a good thing, right? Like, if you're a doctor, yeah. you're a lawyer, an engineer, you work a full time job, you're not going to have time to manage real estate. There's a lot that goes into it. So that's kind of a benefit. The, the limited aspect is a benefit. Plus the standpoint of liability is also a benefit because you know the max you could lose from the general partner standpoint, the person signing personally on loans, uh, technically speaking, it's unlimited risk. So yep. So th th that makes sense. And, and then, so is your company, your your fund, is it acting in the, in the sense of like a big LP? It depends on the structure and it, it depends on, you know, if my company Farmers Capital Group is providing the majority of the capital, you know, would probably take a certain percentage of the GP. And then mm -hmm. I would, you know, essentially do 
GP duties within that investment, which is no problem. Um, but it really depends on you know how big the asset is, or what the capital stack is. And when I say capital stack, when you look at the balance sheet of the investment, you know you have your senior debt, you know uh-huh. the debt that you got from Fannie or Freddie or a credit union. You know that's going to be your senior debt. That's going to have first position, and the majority of that is about seventy percent of the you know purchase price of these assets. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be from you know can be as low as ten to twenty. It can be as high as or the down payment on these can you yeah. know, be ten percent or forty percent depending on the environment. Right now we see it more towards the higher end, 40 percent. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, 30 percent now because of the increase in interest rates, right? Like, it's not going to yep. make sense to get a multifamily, maybe for the most part, with a lower down payment because the payments would be so high that it's going to eat into the cash on cash returns. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And when you think about a risk perspective as well, the more like if you buy a property cash, like all you have to pay out is the taxes on it. Yeah. Right. You're not, you're not out a, a huge debt obligation. Um, but I was just recently actually looking a local deal. Um, it was six units and they're selling the property for about 1.3 million. But what's wild right now is essentially the property was selling at a four cap, meaning, you know, a, a 4% capitalization rate, what that really means in, in layman's terms is the return that you can expect on that property. So for every dollar that you're getting in, for every dollar of the purchase price, you're essentially getting four cents in net operating income is really what that means in this deal. But when you think about the debt that that we're looking at in today's environment, you know, debt rates are as high as 8%. And so that spread is causing a mass discrepancy in the marketplace right now. And for even that property to make sense, to pay off the debt and to make the bank happy, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd have probably have to purchase that thing for about half, about $600,000, um, oh, wow. to $600,000, which is almost half of what, what it, it is half of what, you know, they're wanting. So it's just wild. This environment that we're in, it's a wild time. And that's why for everyone invest, investing, out there and just learning talk just call up people and just run the numbers yourself like google google how much debt is and the payment calculators and they'll throw throw up examples for you and you can understand an idea about how wonky this market really is right now yeah so what what happens like in, in this situation what happens i guess what's like the um the cure to this like if, if interest rates keep going up then then what? Do we go into all cash deals? Do we just stop buying real estate? Or, or kind of tell me a little bit more like what happens if interest rates just keep going up? Well, no one has crystal of all. And <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so it's hard to say what will happen. I mean, things are already starting to break in the system. Mm-hmm. What we see from, if, if you take a few steps back and look at the big institutional players right now, everyone is holding a bunch of cash and they're waiting for the commercial real estate industry to reprice itself. Okay. And when I say that what's happening is in 2024, there's a lot of um, bridge debt that's coming due. So investors got into these deals three years ago. They said, Hey bank, 
I need a three-year loan to cover the construction and to cover the 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 payment or the years of the business plan where it's le- it's most volatile and it's most risky. And they said, okay, that's that's fine, but you're gonna pay, you know, higher percentage. And in three years, we want to we want that back and we want to refinance out of it. And right now, with interest rates as high as they are, when the investors go to refinance out of these bridge debt loans that were priced in at you know anywhere from three to five percent within that range, they're because interest rates is an expense on the property. Expense is a driver of the net operating income of the property. Net operating income drives the value of that asset. So when you decrease the NOI, the net operating income, you're directly decreasing the value of that asset. So when they go to refinance, their asset is going to be worth significantly less than what what they were expecting three years ago when they got into the first um, piece of debt on the property. And so the the value on these properties may not even be worth the debt that they got on them in the coming year. So when that happens, everyone with very big money is looking at this and being like, well, if we have liquid cash, then we can pick up these assets at pennies on the dollar, like 50 cents on the dollar. It's very similar to what happened. Yeah. I think what's going to happen is very similar to what happened in 2008 in the residential markets. Everyone's familiar with that financial crisis. And although the market has changed a little bit, the lending lending requirements for commercial banks were not as strict as they are for residential. As what the, you know, they put in a lot of restrictions on what residential mortgage lenders could, could loan out to individual, to individuals. So, but that same thing didn't happen in commercial real estate to the same degree. Um, banks banks have their own responsibility to invest their capital where they see value. And it's just the market that we're in right now. We, we see some people are over leveraged and the people that are, you know, put the right debt on their properties with the right business plan are going to come out on top, but we see the the in the general partners in today's environment that got this debt, you know, they're going to be squeezed. And they're because I think they didn't they didn't lock in their rates. You know, it, it's going to it's going to be a big shift and a big repricing that's going to happen in 2024, is, is my estimate. Mm-hmm. Um but and we're we're kind of doing the same thing. Um we're raising capital right now, but it has to be a very specific deal type and very specific risk profile that I'm willing to invest in in today's environment. Thanks for explaining that way. That makes, I mean, that was a very crystal clear way of explaining it. It makes a lot of sense. My question is, for example, for the, the for the properties that these bigger firms are going to buy for like half the value, like 50 cents on the dollar, what happens to those? Like, for example, let's say that I have a property now, it's supposed to be worth a million dollars. That's how much my debt is, income, all that structure gets mm-hmm. together comes out to about a million, but I can refinance. I can't get out of the loan. I sell it for 500,000. What happens to 
what happened to that situation to me in, in this example? Yeah, the, the sad thing is that a lot of the equity that you originally had baked into your business plan when you purchased the property uh, essentially vanishes. And it, it kind of it's scary that this fiat currency that we're dealing with yeah. can just vanish in this way. But it's kind of like if you take snow yeah. and you got some really hot water right next to you. And in today's environment, it's kind of like throwing a snowball into a river and just seeing it whoosh. Um, on, on the flip side of that, you know, it's October, we're coming into the winter, obviously. Yeah. But if that lake is kind of coming, is already frozen, then you throw that snowball in and it's not going to dissipate as fast. You know, maybe it's slushy, yeah. maybe there's some movement, as some friction, you know, it's going to, it's going to erode over time. But, you know, right now, it's, it, when that happens, it's, uh, you lose your capital and it's a scary, it's a scary thing. And we're happening, we're seeing that right now in the markets and it's definitely something that yeah it's just kind of sad to see um to be yeah. honest with you yeah. and then it's it's it looks bad for people and it looks bad on the industry as well which is a shame because there's great people out there and great operators but it's kind of like one industry you know blanket statement gets all of the shame when things like this happen yeah yeah definitely so what what's the, are there still like I'm sure there are still opportunities for limited partners to get into real estate now, right? It's yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's deals are few and far between. I mean, let's just put it that way. Transaction volume is near historic lows, I think, in the industry yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. And so what we look for in deals is good, good debt. And when I say good debt, you know, your definition of good five years ago is much different than a piece of debt that is good right now. Mm. I see debt right now that is six, seven, eight percent. So we're looking at deals that just from a net operating income make sense. Like what when you think about paying off this debt, what is the debt service coverage ratio? You know, if you have one dollar of NOI, is that whole dollar going to pay the debt obligation on the investment property? Preferably what you would have in in most deals is the that ratio to be about a dollar and twenty-five cents for every dollar of income for every dollar of debt. And so that equates to a 1.25 uh debt service coverage ratio essentially. And so just really paying attention to those pieces and looking at the details um in these deals. And that's why a lot of stuff isn't penciling out right now. It's just this debt is it's crazy, crazy high in relative terms in the last 15, 20s. But you know, we look at the 1980s, it was yeah. what 16% was yeah, the high yeah. interest rate back then. Yeah. So there's still, yeah, there's still potential for to make money as a limited partner. Um for those listening wondering, like, should I still should I still do this? I think if it's a if it's a good operator, a good market, a good raid. Um, and then, of course, the, the the experience of the operator is probably the most important. Um, then it, there's, there's yep. there is still potential. And then compared to because uh, your your money has to live somewhere, like you have to do something with your money. Just having it sitting in the bank is probably not a smart idea. If it is going to sit in the bank, you probably want it to sit in some sort of high interest CD or say that's kind of like the bare minimum thing you should be doing. Not the best thing to do, but that's just like worst case uh, for yep. a very short term period of time because it's not like you could 
you know, retire off of, you know, your savings account or CD, it's probably going to be a, a three month, six month, 12 month window. That's all. And then you're going to have to find another investment or another place to park that money. And I think that's what, that's what a lot of these bigger firms are probably doing now. The ones with like billions of dollars on in cash, they're just, they, they have it sitting in interest now because interest is not that bad. It's like 5% interest right now, but it's not a long-term strategy. Eventually, you know, you have to do something else or because um, the, the rates could change. They can go down. Uh, inflation can keep climbing. You have to invest the money in um, in different places. And, and overall, real estate, I think, does beat other asset classes because you still own the property. You still have, in the, in the case of a lot of multifamily, you still have people paying their rent. You still have people living somewhere paying their rent. So yep. I think all those factors are worth considering. Um, what what else? And, and then you've kind of you've kind of niched down to working with farmers, right? Like you have a business. So a farm is essentially two parts: it's the real estate and the business part, kind of wrapped together. Those far- farmers helping them diversify by investing into commercial real estate, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly correct. So I grew up on a farm, and when I uncovered this hidden gem, I thought of commercial real estate investing and how people can participate in these deals without betting the farm. It, it, it seemed like a, a really big opportunity um, for not only myself, but looking looking towards the agricultural community as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. we are largely too invested on the farm, meaning all the income that we generate is typically either put in the cash, in right into the bank, right? And it just kind of sits there mm-hmm. and we hold tight or we want to decrease our tax liability. So we get go out and buy new equipment um, or we invest in stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And that is typically the the plan, right? And this, uh, mm-hmm. it's what is advertised by yeah. advisors. You know, they say the 60-40 split, 60% in stocks, 40% yeah. in your bonds, but then you uncover that the 1% are actually investing 25% into these commercial real estate syndications. And that that discrepancy is something that I'm shedding light on for the mm-hmm. agricultural community and helping them diversify into these types of assets. Because like you pointed out earlier, yeah, today's a weird, mar- a weird market with the lending environment, but that doesn't mean that this asset class is horrible. Like it's not like real estate has generated more millionaires than almost all the other industries combined. So from that perspective and from a a limited partner, passive investor standpoint, you can leverage the operator's experience and leverage the fact that you are not investing locally. And that is huge for my clients because we live in rural America. Yeah. Investing in an apartment building with a population of two thousand people, the when you look at risk adjustment, like do you have risk adjusted returns on an investment property like that? The short answer is no. Yeah, um, it, it's just too risky. And but what we see in bigger markets like Austin, yeah. um, you know Phoenix, you know these cities have good macroeconomic environments that farmers can leverage in in their financial portfolio to really give them some financial security on making long-term decisions for their farm i see that that makes i, I agree and that, that does make a lot of sense like instead of reinvesting your money back into your own operating business that you own and manage because a, a lot of people a lot of people do that right they have their operating business and they either save the cash or reinvest it back into their business 
And in their minds, you know, their business is the best security they have. It's the best asset they own. Uh, but there's concentration risk with them, meaning that all your eggs in one basket. So when you when you diversify, like if you're on a farm um, uh, in somewhere rural, you could invest in Atlanta or you could invest in Houston or you can invest in other places where the metropolitan areas are much greater. And then in that in that in that way, the um, the the risk is mitigated, right? Like if you invest in an apartment building, yes. two hundred units. And you know, ten percent, you know, stop paying the rent or leave or whatever. You still have ninety yeah. percent recurring cash flow coming in. So there's more. You're, you're thinking like a bank or an insurance company in this case. Like you're you're able. There's there's there are more predictable returns and uh, less likelihood of, of of losing money in in that situation. Yeah, th- that is exactly spot on. And just that fact alone, even the the local deal that I was talking about earlier, the deal had six units. Um, so pretty small, single digits, right? So even if you have one person in that property not paying rent 30% of the time in the year, and that's like one lease turnover, that yeah. could be your entire cash flow for the year. Yes. Mm-hmm. But in these deals, these apart these larger apartment complexes and self-storage facilities, you know, they have hundreds of units. And so if a, cer- a small percentage, just like you said, doesn't pay their bills or maybe there's a slight dip in the market overall the if you're in the right investment or right business plan it's not going to matter because that that should be already underwritten in the business plan so yeah. that's why it's important to get with the right operators get with the right people who can analyze these deals and verify those two things that they're actually baking in these assumptions Got it. To really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good example. Yeah. Um, how can, so Casey, it was, it was awesome having you on the podcast and, and getting to know your, uh, your, your perspective on real estate. How can the listeners connect with you and learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. It's been, been a pleasure. Um, always love talking shop, talking real estate and how people can, you know, diversify into these type of assets. Um, best place to get a hold of me is meetwithcasey.com or if you want to check out our website, you know, get a hold of all of our free resources there. You can check out fcg123.com as well. So meetwithkc.com, fcg123.com is where schedule time or check out all the stuff we have. Okay, awesome. I'll be sure to add in those links in the show notes below. And I'm looking forward to having you back on the podcast. Yeah, sounds good. Sorry. And uh, yeah, look forward to next time. Thanks. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.